Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. Pastor Howard, we have arrived at the last lesson of this fourth quarter of the year, and it's entitled The Resurrection of Moses, and I love this story so Great. much, and I'm going to guarantee you there's plenty of fodder for good uh, Sabbath school discussions right. in every class. Now, you know what's coming up next is after this quarter comes next quarter, which is all about the book of Hebrews. Mm. In fact, it says, in these last days, the message of Hebrews. Uh, this Excellent. Is also one of the ones where the inverse quarterly is along the same lines as the, it's under the same uh, theme and yes. topic as the regular adult Sabbath school quarterly. So there's a lot of good resources looking forward to next week beginning that. Mm -hmm. But right now, we're going to dive into this one with our talking points. We have not prayed yet, though, have we? We have not. Would you please do that for us? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for, once again, for the testimony of your word, the study of Deuteronomy as we're coming to the conclusion of it, Lord, and its application in these last days. We pray that you would help us to store up your uh, word in our hearts, uh, that we might not sin against you. We pray that we would store them up as Jesus did, and he faced the tempter with these words from Deuteronomy. And so we ask, Lord, you would bless us in our study. Bless each Sabbath school teacher as they lead their classes, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, I had the privilege, the joy, of putting together our talking points for this week, and Pastor Howard, I did a radical thing. Let's hear it. Friends, we have only two talking points this week. Two talking points, that's it. And uh, I've, I've seen, done that before. I was like, it's not too <laughs> radical because I know that Pastor Howard likes to bend the rules sometimes, and we've seen a two talking point. Oh. I think we've even seen a four talking now point you're week. Blaming me for my poor influence. I not know. blaming you, just pointing <laughs> out that I'm not the first transgressor here. But the, given the nature of this study, the topic, of course, is the resurrection of Moses. But if you look at now, it. That's all tongue in cheek, clearly, for those who may just be joining us. Oh, so yeah, that's may, true. There are we've no really rules never here. given you a hard, fast rule for how many talking points. Three works out pretty good, but yeah. there are times where well, two or even we've talked about one. Well, in fact, in, we last specifically we said last week, I was going to yeah. say, you could pick any of the days last mm -hmm. week and it'd be a whole standalone study. This week, however, you can't do that. You cannot really just take one day's lesson because it all but goes through part are of the story. But there are two clear points this week. Very much so. And I want to bring that up because, for instance, uh, though the title is The Resurrection of Moses, on Sunday you have The Sin of Moses Part 1, Monday The Sin of Moses Part 2, Tuesday you have The Death of Moses. We're in the middle of the week and we haven't gotten to the, right. the, the, the whole point of the story, which gets to the resurrection of Moses, right? And then the resurrection of us all. So this is my takeaway this week is talking point number one. Oh, uh, actually, I want to, why don't you read the Sabbath afternoon paragraph three, or as it's written, written there in the um, in the notes, or directly from ah, the yes. lesson, either way. Sabbath afternoon, paragraph three. And Moses' life and ministry revealed much about the character of God, as Moses' life and ministry revealed much about the character of God, so too does his death and resurrection. Right, and I think that I, and it's a really good point to launch into our study this week because we often look at the life and experiences of Moses and the writings of Moses to show us about who God is. But even in these final moments of Moses' life, do we see some very poignant, very powerful lessons, insights, not just to who Moses was, but who is the God and who Moses right. trusts. So that's the springboard for this week. And there are two clear points brought out there. His death 
and resurrection. Exactly. And so what I've done is uh, commandeered another passage of scripture to make our two talking points. First, talking point number one is that the wages of sin is death. Romans 23, first part. That's right. Uh, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday talks about that and the sin and death of Moses. Okay. But then, praise the Lord, we have talking point number two, that the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, which is what Moses experienced in this uh, final chapter of his life as well. So we're going to break those down and uh, make the whole lesson about these two points. The wages of sin is death in the context of Moses. Moses, Right. So Moses sinned. Now, that's not to say he had never sinned before and who knows what was trying. Clearly, we have the, the killing of the Egyptian earlier on. But in his leadership role, this was the signature error at the end of his ministry, right? I think going into this lesson and looking at the death of Moses, it's very easy for us to feel like it was unjust. Mm. You know, in in light of the constant haranguing <laughs> and rebellion of the people, okay, so he lost his temper. And then that, some of them went in. Well, actually, none of the original two, in, but two, it's Caleb yeah. and Joshua. But the point is that of their children, like the originals did, but of their children that went in, don't tell me they didn't get grumpy and disagree. Right. We see that. But you're like, so of Moses all the people lived, not to get to go in, right. Moses? Really? Right, because he because he got frustrated with people who provoked him to, right. you know, so anyway. You can justify, rationalize it very easily. In the words of like, the Apostle Paul, I speak as a man, but still, <laughs> you're, you could be tempted to think that. Well, like, you could also it? think almost in a karmic kind of way, like hadn't he built it up, up enough goodwill to off-balance <laughs> this one little thing, 40 years of, right? And we sometimes think of sin like this, but God viewed the sin of Moses. But we shouldn't. Yeah, God viewed it as as he rightly should uh, from heaven's perspective. And again, the point is that the sin of Moses, which of course was striking the rock instead of speaking to the rock and, you know, his speech that went with it. And they hear now, ye rebels. Right. uh, That this was particularly... This is a particularly bad sin, if you can have such a thing, right? And it, there's a lot to it. So, first of all, let's look at Numbers chapter 20, verses 7 through 11. Do you want to look that up for us, please? Yes. And the first thing about this sin is that this is not a thing that Moses, like, did accidentally. He wasn't quite clear on what God expected. or whatever. It was a clear command that Moses openly disobeyed. Why don't you read 7 through 11? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the congregation together. Speak to the rock before their eyes, and it will yield its water. Thus you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the ant congregation and their animals. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord as he commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, must we bring water for you out of this rock? Then Moses lifted his hand and struck the rock twice with his rod. And water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank. So you could look and say, well, I mean, he just did a little variation on a theme. He got water from the rock. It worked after all, right? But first of all, was the Lord in any way ambiguous about what his expectation was? Not at all. Not at all. He was very clear, and Moses got up there, rod in hand, which is Bible, that he was supposed to take the rod in hand. But then once he got in that position... He just let it all fly, right? And he said, here now, you rebels, must we bring... And he took that rod, and not just once, but twice, just beat that poor rock, right? And what Moses did there was not a misunderstanding or a miscommunication or a, a, like in a, in a 
moment. He knew what he was doing. He called the people together and he did this thing. Right. And so point, sub point number one here is that the sin of Moses was a clear, it was a disobedience to a clear command of God. It was no ambiguity about it. Okay. But more than that, Moses lost his patience in public. Mm-hmm. So there's a nature. In fact, while you're there, look at chapter, uh, chapter 20, 12, verse 12. 12. 12 verse, uh, 20, to, verse 12. Yeah. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Because you did not believe me to hallow me in the eyes of the children of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land which I have given them. Now notice, it's not just because you didn't believe me, because you did it in the eyes of the mm-hmm. people, right? That this was a public demonstration of a lack of faith and a, 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 a loss of patience. In Patriots from Prophets 4.17, listen to what Sister White comments about this aspect of Moses' sin. She says, Hear now, you rebels, he said, this accusation was true. Because we don't focus on that, but when Moses said, Hey, listen up, rebels, he was right. They are rebellious, right? And they should be listening, mm-hmm. right? This accusation was true. But even truth is not to be spoken in passion or impatience. Hmm. Thus, and here's why, thus the people were given occasion to question whether his past course had been under the direction of God and excuse their own sins. Well, like, well, if he just showed humanity in this, maybe he's been human the whole time. Maybe he's been, you know, speaking on his own. He goes on to say, they had now found the pretext which they desired for rejecting all the reproofs that God had sent them through his servant. So now they could say, aha, there is that human mm. element. And, and maybe that other thing was human too. Maybe it's not all God. And so they were looking for any foothold for disobedience and handed them one by doing this loss of patience in public. There's a lot in this passage. I mean, if you think about it, especially as a minister, mm. because one of the reasons that Moses' sin was punished so severely was because of his role. Yes, it wouldn't have been this way among one of the people, but as a leader, mm-hmm. he had them. And I can't help but think that when Moses um, struck the rock, mm-hmm. first of all, the Lord could have just withheld the water. Yeah, like I told you to do it this way, you didn't do it that right. way, so the water won't come out. And there's, and of course, I'd, I'm just thinking through this. There are layers in this uh, where it would appear that. And I think of this again in ministry itself. First of all, truth is not to be spoken in passion or impatience. Mm -hmm. And I think as a minister, how often have I done that? Mm. You know, and when was my funeral, right? So, you know, for Moses, this, how severe the charge was then because of the way he had, and I have to think how many times have I tarnished God's Mm. work, right? By, but then... It's interesting that God could have not given the water, but he gave the water. In other words, the water was for the people. Yes. And he blessed the people despite right. Moses. And I think how many times... Praise the Lord for his mercies. Well, how many times might we as pastors, a person come up and say, man, I was just moved by that. Or they give their heart to the Lord and they get baptized. And we want to take credit to ourselves where it could be that the Lord's just pouring out the water for them despite the fact that yeah. we did not go about it the right way. So there's, n- anyway, there's so well, much. Pastor Howard has brought it to me several <laughs> times that we sometimes uh, forget that there's a difference between the blessing of the Lord and the mercy of the Lord. Like, I don't think the Lord endorsed and therefore blessed the striking of the rock. Right. But he was merciful to the people that despite Moses' downfall, he was That's still right. going to keep his covenant. we got to keep that in mind. Mm. Okay, so 
he disobeyed a clear command, he lost his patience in public, and dis, you know, lost his influence there. Of course, but, misrepresented God's character. Right, but look at this one. Moses took the glory that belonged only to God. Still notice what it said. Not only did you do, do this right. sin in the eyes of the people, but it, um, you did not believe me to hallow me right. in the eyes of the people. Therefore, you will not. Mm. Right. When he said, must we bring water from this rock for you? That sounds a whole lot like, I mean, the Antichrist who's going to sit in the temple of God, making himself to be God, or Lucifer, I will ascend, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Like Moses for a moment there revealed the true horridness of sin, that even in this tested, tried, true man of God, that there was still that thing that when he let down his, just like Peter when he got his eyes off of Christ and he sunk down immediately, the first thing that comes out is that satanic impulse Mm -hmm. to stand in the place of God and be regarded as such and execute vengeance and... Well, you remember all throughout the Exodus, God had told Moses, your people, I'm going to destroy. And he's Mm -hmm. like, Lord, they're not my people, they're your people. Now, all of a sudden, they're his people. (laughs) Exactly. And we're saving, you know, we're going to, must we bring water? And suddenly he becomes the... Mm. The Savior, yeah. Yeah, that's um, terrible. Patriarchs and Prophets 418 there has that yes. statement. You want to read that for us? By his rash act, Moses took away the force of the lesson that God purposed to teach. The rock, being a symbol of Christ, had been once smitten, as Christ was to be once offered. The second time, it was needful only to speak to the rock, as we have only to ask for the blessings in the name of Jesus. By the second smiting of the rock, the significance of the beautiful figure of Christ was destroyed. Which, of course, is the probably the greatest uh, fault in Moses' action was not only that he was putting himself in the place of where Christ should be, right? But he was putting down the whole mm. the whole economy, the whole symbolic type of like the the rock scripture tells us was Christ That's right. that gave them water. When Jesus came in during his ministry, he would say, I am the water of life, right? I mm-hmm. am and that water analogy is applied to Christ even from the Old Testament. And when Moses got up there mm-hmm. and instead of speaking and asking for the mercy of God to be poured out, he strikes it again. Yeah. It undermines the whole typology yeah, of well, salvation. We've talked, about, we've talked about that, how you know, paganism is all about appeasing God. Mm-hmm. And so this was setting forth that clear, like the striking of Christ was not an appeasement that man did to God. God offered himself, paid the penalty. And so the speaking to the rock was supposed to convey that concept that God is not a God that needs to be constantly mm. appeased, mm. that just speak and receive the blessing. You know, Christ took your penalty, et cetera, et cetera. And so I, I think of that when I read verse 12, and it says, you did not, because you did not believe me, to hallow me. I think that the Lord is referring to that, that this, him striking the rock, took away the picture of God's character that he was trying to convey to the mm-hmm. people. It also seems to weaken the power of the blood because that first, because there were the two incidents with the rock. The first one, you were supposed to strike it, and thereafter, you're just supposed to speak to it. Yes. Right, that the, the power of that one Yes, the efficacy cross, of right, the right, sac- It yeah. continues on. But you don't have to re-kill him, re-sacrifice right. over and over. It's not like it runs out. The blood will never lose its power. But here, you have to, like, kill him again. And I'm thinking of our Roman Catholic friends yeah. who... We don't have a crucifix. Where with the, with the, it's never empty. It's always, like... And always the sacrificing Exactly, Christ. just yeah. repeating the same thing. It's once for all. And yes. Moses, again, entered into that 
that would confuse the people and dishonor Christ. Mm. It's powerful. So when we get to the end of this first talking point, we come to the self-evident realization that Moses' sentence was entirely appropriate and incredibly merciful. Mm. Now, the lesson does bring this out that... um, that from our perspective, we might think, I mean, seriously, death for, you know, doing the rock thing wrong. Mm-hmm. That's really the thing. But when we review the enormity of it, how it was, you know, just not just a loss of patience and it wasn't just a clear disobedience of command. He was taking the glory to himself. He was just, just uh, he was smearing the character of Christ. It was to think that death is inappropriate it's just off base. It's mm-hmm. entirely appropriate. The wages of sin is death. And yes. this was clearly sin, right? And beyond that, how God did the death mm-hmm. was incredibly merciful. Because when we see the actual picture, in fact, let's go to Deuteronomy. Moses well, went down and went up to Nebo and took a nap. <laughs> yeah, basically. He and he says he down. was not weak. His eyesight was not gone. But in Deuteronomy 34, there's this incredible insight about he wasn't just brought up the mountain and kindly laid to rest, which he was. Something else happened on that mountain that Moses certainly did not earn, but the Lord blessed him with this supernatural experience. Why don't you read verses 1 through 7 of Deuteronomy 34. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is across from Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead as far as Dan, all Naphtali as far as Ephraim and Manasseh, all the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the south, and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zoar. Then the Lord uh, said to him, This is the land of which I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I have caused you to see it with your eyes, but you shall not cross over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows his grave to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor diminished. So Moses did not die of old age. He had no ailments or infirmities that would lead to death, right? right? It wasn't he a was lingering brought, sickness. Right. He was brought there for the purpose. God said, you're going to walk up this mountain and you're going to die. Mm-hmm. But before he executes the sentence of death, right? It says, I have caused you to see it with your eyes. Now, just geographically, all that he lists out being, yes. a, you couldn't see that with your naked eye, right? This right. is clearly a, a divinely inspired vision mm-hmm. of the land. But Sister White then tells us, and if you have time, I know our days are getting shorter. What you should do here, mm-hmm. at least in North America, the days are getting shorter. Where we are in Michigan is colder. Sit by a fire if you can and crack open Patriarchs and Prophets, pages 472 to 477. Sister White expounds on this visionary experience that Moses enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And I do say enjoyed because it had to be something he'd never seen in his life before. Now, I know that he was shown the pattern on the mountain Mm -hmm. and he'd seen other things. But the Lord not only showed him what the land would look like, but he... In that time, he was shown the future vision, not only of the land, but of the people and the children of Israel and the history of the church all the way down to the second coming. That's right. And so he had a supernatural understanding of all that God purposed for his people. And he was in God, in his mercy, gave him that picture before laying him down to death. In fact, Patriarchs and Prophets, page 470. Why don't you read that one for us? Moses knew that he was to die alone. 
No earthly friend would be permitted to minister to him in his last hours. There is a mystery and awfulness about the scene before him from which his heart shrank. The severest trial was his separation from the people of his care and love, the people with whom his interest and his life had so long been united. But he had learned to trust in God, and with unquestioning faith he committed himself and his people to his love and mercy. Now, honestly, if that's all that we had about the life and death of Moses, it would still be a beautiful revelation of the character of God. Mm -hmm. That in his justice, he has to lay him down, but his mercy, he shows him the supernatural future. It's powerful, but praise the Lord, there's that second talking point. Mm -hmm. That the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that Moses' experience doesn't end in death. Well, and it's important to make the link there. It's interesting when you read the statement, there was a mystery. And of course, no earthly friend permitted to minister. Now, that's not always the case in humanity. But the next sentence says, there was a mystery and awfulness about the scene before him from which his heart shrank. I think that's true of anybody who faces death. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so part of what we're seeing in this is there's a lesson, as we're going to see in talking point number mm -hmm. two, that was coming to all of humanity, even the universe, I dare say, on what happens after death. Mm. And the hope beyond the grave. Well, yes. And also, by the way, we've, we're told that Moses is a type of Christ. Moses shrinks not knowing exactly what before him, but he, he trusts the That's Lord right. and his plan just like Christ did. And boy, did God have a plan for Moses that mm -hmm. was not long to be fulfilled. Jude 9, I, I think you're heading there. Yep. Um, and that's our memory verse actually for this week as well, speaks about the after time. Now, I don't know if it's a a minute, a moment, a week. I don't know exactly how long it took, but after what we just read about the death of Moses, Jude tells us the rest of the story. Uh, Jude 9 says, Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. Now, it's interesting it says that, well, I mean, that Moses' body... Clearly, it's not Moses himself, because he's dead at this point, mm -hmm. so it's talking about the body of Moses, right? But it's Michael the archangel, who everywhere you look in Scripture, you can see Michael the archangel. People sometimes wrestle with the identity of who this Michael mm -hmm. the archangel is, but he's doing things that even other regular angels can't do. First of all, he's taking on mm -hmm. Satan and winning every yes. single time, and He's raising the dead to life, and he's commanding. That's right. Forth. So this is prerogatives only God can have. So Michael's not just another angel. Clearly, this is Christ, right? Michael the archangel. But it said, contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses. The implication is he didn't just come down and wake him up like, oh, he was all alone and buried him, and then came back and dug him up. Satan had viewed the death of Moses as a signal victory and Christ now had to come to spoil him of his assumed prey, right? That's right. And of course, and that's... Just, and just ahead. to interject, since you kind of threw it out there... Let's put it. The view of Michael as Christ is not a uniquely Seventh-day Adventist view. No. Charles Spurgeon held that view. Uh, the John Gill in his Baptist commentary shares that. Matthew Henry in the Matthew Henry commentary shared that view. So there's some people like, oh, the Adventists think Jesus is a created being. No, neither did any of the mm -hmm. others. Right. That that was just a name used in reference to... Christ in his And while the Bible doesn't him. specifically say that, mm -hmm. again, the Bible was And if we, give a, we could give a Bible study on it, exactly. time permitting. Time and again, Michael is doing these things that only Christ does, right? He's the commander of the angel host and the bringer of eternal life. And this That's is the right. report point. Now, 
this is what Romans talks about, and we refer to it in our talking points, Romans 6, 23, you know how the wages of sin is, this, but the gift of God is eternal life, but not just in God generically, but specifically in Christ Jesus. That's and it was right. Christ Jesus who comes to dispute about this and take back that one that's right. For, which, it's no accident that the Bible says that Paul says that the Lord himself yes. shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the, the voice, voice of, of the, the archangel and the dead in Christ to, to raise the dead. Right. Over and so, over again. Right. But now, specifically linking the archangel to that raising of the dead. and Patriots and Prophets 478 makes this interesting point. Had not the life of Moses been bar- marred with that one sin in failing to give God the glory of bringing give God the glory of bringing water from the rock at Kadesh, he would have entered the promised land and would have been translated to heaven without seeing death. So he was Mm. already going to go into the earthly and then into the heavenly, right? Mm. But he was not long to remain in the tomb. Christ himself, with the angels who had buried Moses, came down from heaven to call forth the sleeping saint. So you get the picture, which we're, oh, Mm. poor Moses, he's up there and he's, he's, he's having to face the punishment for his, his mm-hmm. rightful punishment for his egregious sin, and God mercifully shows him a view of the world to come, lays him to rest, and then takes off, and there's the poor body of Moses. Mm-hmm. And of course, Satan is looking at that like, yeah, we got him, to, we, we, we ended him, we won. and that's. But then Christ comes back. The same one who buried him comes to dig him up. Mm. And this is... the which we think of now in Christian experience, like, oh, of course, he's going to resurrect. The concept of a resurrection was foreign to the world. Universe. The whole universe, right? Just as death was foreign, now Satan himself needed to learn the truth of the power of God in, in his capacity to resurrect the dead, right? Mm-hmm. Listen to this, uh, 478. Why don't you read that one? Patriarchs and Prophets, page 478. For the first time... Christ was about to give life to the dead. As the Prince of Life and the Shining Ones approached the grave, Satan was alarmed for his supremacy. With his evil angels, he stood to dispute an invasion of the territory that he claimed as his own. He boasted that the servant of God had become his prisoner. The Savior entered into no dispute with his adversary, but he then and there began the work of breaking the power of the fallen foe and bringing the dead to life. So it appears that Satan and his angels up to this point had thought that Adam and and Abel yeah. and all those who had died and lived imperfect lives were his. Yeah. Nobody the, could, that whole Genesis 5, the whole line of the faithful, except for Enoch. Enoch's the one who got away. Yes. All the other ones are dead. But no, they're going to be free too. So it goes <laughs> on to say, here was an evidence that Satan could not controvert of the supremacy of the Son of God. The resurrection was forever made certain. Satan was despoiled of his prey. The righteous dead would live again. Mm, that is powerful. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, some people might bring up, and Wednesday's lesson brings this out, but how could Christ do this ahead of the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Can he just, if he could just take the re- dead? So in my understanding of it, and the lesson brings this out too, how could Christ do that for a sinner, Moses, someone who had violated his law, the answer, of course, could only be the cross. Just as all the animal sacrifices pointed ahead to Christ's death, so yes. obviously the Lord now, looking ahead of the cross, claimed the That's body exactly of Moses. Right. The point being that when Christ, and you read this in Matthew chapter 17, was on the earth, looking forward to his death soon to come, that he was given a visit yes. from Elijah 
and Moses, one representing the translated one, resur uh, the resurrected, Moses being the resurrected one. And it, it, in my simple imagination, I have to think that they're saying, look, even if everyone down there rejects you, you've got two up here mm -hmm. who have put faith in you, and we yes. need you to finish this because, you know, it's, it's speculative, but what would have happened to Moses and Elijah and Enoch, you know, if Christ had failed in his mission? Right. They're only there by his sacrifice. Mm -hmm. So they're, I, I get the picture of them like, you can do it. If not for mm -hmm. them, at least for us, right? Go through with it, right? That's right. And so it is in that sense, the, trans, uh, the, the transfiguration is that mini second coming where Christ will finally see not just the few that he's taken to heaven before, but a whole sea right. by God's grace of people he can resurrect. It's been the first few fruits already and then yes. a great harvest yeah. is coming. So our time is up for mm. this week, but there's so much you can take out of this week's lesson. I absolutely love this story. And my concluding thought in the talking points was taken directly from the lesson that just asked, what lessons can we learn from how God dealt with Moses? Ask that question <laughs> this week and you will have plenty to discuss in your Sabbath school classes. So uh, it's a great study and I've and really enjoyed, especially this last week here, looking at the life and death mm. and resurrection of Moses. And there's plenty to talk about in our That's Sabbath right. school this week. Next week, the book of Hebrews. Back to the book of Hebrews. But for now, can you give us a word of prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven. Oh, Father, we thank you for uh, the testimony of Scripture and the example of the raising of Moses, Lord, and, of course, the raising of Jesus himself as he conquered the grave. And we know for certain that we in Christ have everlasting life. May we not uh, allow the fear of death to shake us from our faithfulness to you, but let us hope in that second coming of Jesus, Lord, when all things will be made new. We ask and pray all this in his name.